You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this Bonus episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your deliciously disabled daddy host, your Crip King, Andrew Gerza, if you will. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this bonus episode started. Now, if you're wondering why there's a bonus episode in your ear holes today on this Wednesday, I'm going to tell you why. Pretty excited to share with you why, because today's guest emailed me and said, I want to talk about disability and drag with you. And I was like, that's such a cool idea. I would love to have you on the show. And they were like, I have written songs about disability and accessibility that I will be performing at a drag show on Saturday, February 5th. Do you think you could do an episode before that with me? And I was like, I was like, well, sure. And then I was like, when can I fit it in? Because usually we do episodes on Saturday, and then I was like, wait, I'm the boss of this ship, I can do whatever the fuck I want, so I was like, I'm going to make a bonus episode for this person, because I want to talk about disability and drag, and I want to talk to this person, so let me tell you all about who you're going to meet today. On the show today, I sit down with my new friend, King Lotus Boy, and he was such a fun interview to do. I was so excited to sit down with him and talk about his experiences of drag and disability. We have a whole big discussion about how to make a drag race more accessible. We pitched the idea of Andrew's crippled drag race. That we, That is something we talk about. We also talk about um, their experiences of ableism, racism, all the things that led them to want to do drag and why drag is so important to them. King Lotus Boy gave us a real insight into just their experience of disability and why drag and the art form of drag is both accessible and inaccessible to them. We had a really big conversation about all this stuff together. And it was just a fun kind of off-the-cuff chat about disability, drag. We talk a little bit about his songs that he wrote for his show called The Accessibility Song and The Disability Song, which I will play a clip of at the end of the show today. So you'll get to hear a clip of that. The rest you'll have to hear by purchasing a ticket for his show, Disability is a Drag, on February 5th at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'll put all the, all that stuff will be in the show notes. It's a hybrid in-person and... Um, in-person and virtual show. Uh, tickets are on a sliding scale. It's a really cool thing he's trying to do by bringing disability into drag, and I wanted to do what I could to support them. 
Um, I we we just had a really fun chat about the nuances of drag and just kind of talked also around disability a lot of things and it was just really cool to sit with King Lotus Boy and talk about all these things and to get to get to introduce you to him. So I'm so excited for you to meet him. And without further ado, here is my very special bonus episode with my friend, King Lotus Boy. And after listening, go pick up a ticket to his show, Disability is a Drag, on February 5th at 7pm Pacific Standard Time. I'm going to stop rambling, but get ready for the show. Lotus Boy, hello! Hi, Andrew. Hi, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. How are you today? Honestly, I'm just really excited to be here and to be talking to you. As I mentioned in my initial email to you, I've been a fan of the show for a bit of time and I'm a Patreon subscriber too. And I just am such a fan of you as a person and the work that you do. And I've become fans of several people who have been on your show. So I'm just really excited to connect more to disabled community. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, You know, your initial email to me was so captivating. I was like, I have to have this person on my show immediately (laughs) because you emailed me and said, I don't know how fast you can turn this around, but I want to talk about drag and disability. And right away, I was like, that is such an important discussion because we don't, we never, and I was telling you off the air like three seconds ago, that we never talk about disability in the drag space and we never talk about drag in the disability space. And I think that both of those areas are really important and really both of those areas have different art forms and bringing them together is just really powerful. So right away I was like, yep, why on my show immediately? Like right away I was like, yeah, sure. How do we do this? And I think I emailed you back immediately. It was like, yeah, great. How do we, how does it how? So I'm so glad to have you here as well. Um, and I'm really excited to jump into the conversation. But before we do any of that, just so people can can get to know you a little bit better, can you introduce yourself to the Disability After Dark audience? I'd love to. Thank you, Andrew. So my name is King Lotus Boy. I am a drag king and I'm non-binary and transgender. My pronouns are he, z, and they, and I like them to be alternated if possible. And I'm a drag king based in um, occupied Ohlone land, which is also known as the Bay Area, California. And I, in addition to my drag king performance, I do performance art. I'm also a writer, actor, poet. I actually started in slam poetry before I started drag. And oh, cool. Yeah. And then this past year, I really have been wanting to expand my art form and really not limit myself anymore. I feel like, as you probably know, and maybe have experienced, living with disabilities is a constant back and forth of kind of like your internal uh, internalized ableism and then the ableism of the world is also putting on you. And I, there's a lot of different art forms I've always been interested in, but always kind of had this idea of like, oh, I can't do that or, oh, I'm not a blank. And this year I was like, no, fuck that. I, I can do, I can try different art 
art forms. I can be what I want to be. I don't have to be, you know, award-winning at it, but as long as it's healing to me and as long as it's making me happy and also making other people think about things differently, that's, that's what I feel like I'm part of my gifts here on this planet are to share my voice and to share healing in different art forms. So all that to say this past year, I've also been exploring filmmaking and writing and producing my own original music, which um, is a nervous thing to do, but an exciting thing to do because I've never really felt confident about my singing and never really shared that with a lot of people. So well, we have a treat for the audience today. We're going to, at the end of the interview, we're going to, I'm going to, you send me your disability song, which I listened to just before we recorded. And I was oh, like, yes. I also sent you, I don't know if you heard the accessibility song either. Um, there's one I wrote too called Accessibility, and it's all about what it sounds like. And um, yeah, well, we can get into that afterwards. Yeah, but I haven't listened to that one yet, but I'll, when okay. I'm doing the edit, when I'm editing this, editing Andrew will remember too. Put both of them in, and uh, so so so. But I think putting that stuff in songs and in like pop stuff is really important. And we we're barely we're barely seeing disabled bodies on television right now, um, or on YouTube or on all those platforms. And so, but we're not seeing them at all in in popular music, popular culture that way. So I think when I listened to the disability song this morning, I was like, "This wow, you said the word disability in a song and you like sang it to me, which <laughs> never happens in a song. So I was like, oh, this is cool. So, and as you'll hear, if you, if you all keep listening to the end of the episode, which you all shook, because it's amazing, you'll hear what I'm talking about. But I think it's just so important to um, have disability talked about in, in music and we don't see that right now. Absolutely. I completely agree. And part of the process of writing that song specifically is coming from the widespread belief by particularly able-bodied people that disability is a bad word, you know, that people are afraid to say disability or afraid to say disabled because they think it's like an insult or a curse. And in many ways, it can be a curse, of course. It can be a blessing. But I feel that, like you, I, I tried to think about any music that I knew of that explicitly talked about disability or the experience of disability. And I'm sure there, that's out there. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm the only one who's ever created music around disability because that would be really misinformed. But to my knowledge, I don't know of many, like you said, popular music um, or just music that's in the, the common sphere that really kind of gives a language to specifically disabled experiences. And the reason why I say disability so many times in the song is partially because of that, that I want people to know that it's okay to be disabled. And at the end of the song too, I I mentioned, right, that disability futures is everyone's future, right? That no matter who you are, if you do end up, you know, living to be a certain age, you will have changes in your abilities and, you know, or who knows, you may experience an accident, you may, you know, come to disability in a different way, but regardless of who you yeah. are, it's going to affect you someday as well. And yeah. I think people don't realize that, you know? 
And to to you know to that point, I always say, and I've said it numerous times on the show, and I'll say it again because it's important. Mm-hmm. You might you might run into the hottest disabled person in your life that you, you want to go on a date with, that you want to get to know. You might not be disabled yourself, but someone that you love and care about and want to fuck around with might also be disabled and that it can enter your life that way. So it isn't just, I always say, it's not just you becoming disabled. Mm. It's the people in your life that you care about encountering disability who, and you might, you might have to encounter it that way. And I think there should be songs about like interable relationship. There should be songs Mm. about, you know, internalized ableism that people have there should be all that stuff should be in in, like could you imagine the pop record we could write if we just let people talk about ableism more let's do it let's i mean let's do it let's create it i'm i'm down to i think that would be a cool project to try and have a like international inter community pop album around disability and people's experiences i think that that would be really revolutionary i agree I mean, and instead of the grammys we could just call it the gimpies and then we could all just go there and <laughs> it could just be a big it could be a big award show i would be totally okay with that all right well i'm gonna start planning for that now and i'll, I'll reach out to you i think andrew you'll be my first choice as the the host the award presenter. amazing amazing <laughs> i mean like how, how cool would that be though but so as we get ready for the the gimpies before we do all that yes can you <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what your disabilities are and how they impact your day today. Sure. So I have a little list of them, as I'm sure you heard in the, the disability song. Uh, my first diagnosis was fibromyalgia when I was 13 and scoliosis. And fibromyalgia, for those who don't know, is a muscle and joint weakness disorder characterized by a lot of widespread pain, chronic fatigue, uh, brain fog, or some people call it fibro fog. And actually prior to this past few years, it was considered a neurological disorder. And in my experience, that's very detrimental. And a lot of other people in the fibromyalgia community, I guess, experience because it's contributes to why it's really hard to get a diagnosis in the first place, because there's not one known cause. A lot of the symptoms could be symptoms for anything else, right? Just like pain, fatigue. It's, it's not super unique to fibro. Yeah. It is a very common disorder in people with uteruses and it usually affects uh, people with uteruses who are like over 40, I believe. But I was diagnosed when I was pretty young and I was just having a lot of really bad back pain at age 13. And my mom and like, I think my PE teacher, because I kept being like, I can't do these activities. And my PE teacher was really disbelieving of that, um, ableism. And uh, my mom finally took me to the doctor. We went to all these different specialists and eventually that was the diagnosis. And I remember at that age, the, the doctor being like, oh, so do you, do you do a lot of activities at school? Do you, uh, are you really involved? Are you a, like a leadership person? And I'm like, yeah, I like right. to do things. I'm pretty busy. And he's just like, yeah, well, maybe don't do so many things. Uh, like that's how oh. you, maybe that's how you can treat your fibromyalgia. Just you're doing too much and stress is a, a stressor 
stress is a stressor. Stress is a trigger. For, <laughs> stress is a stressor, but um, stress is a, a trigger for a lot of fibro symptoms. And I was kind of just at that age, like, well, I'm not going to not live my life, you know, like I'm not going to not do the things that I want to do. Of and course. So I really kind of just have been kind of trying to deal with it for a while. Um, and it did, it wasn't until I reached college age where my pain got pretty bad. And, you know, in college, it's very stressful and wasn't taking care of myself, wasn't eating properly. And the pain got really bad. And there was, I had my first really bad flare up where I couldn't leave bed for a week and I missed all this class. And that was when I really started to take that more seriously because prior to that point it was kind of just you know i i you get used to the pain right you get used to your yeah. baseline level and for me it was kind of just this internal definitely internalized ableism thing of like well if i like why am i being such a baby like why can't i handle this pain or why why can't i do the other things that other people can do so for a while i just kind of pushed myself and wasn't really talking about it wasn't really seeking out extra support when I needed it because of just the ideas I had about disability and chronic illness um, yeah and I think it's hard when you're young going through like from 13 to like 20 you're still forming who you are so to go through that kind of shift when you're so young is really hard um, and I remember college I didn't eat properly at all I ate so much you eat so much shit in college because you're in college and no one's telling you no. So the idea of eating right. pizza for four days is like really great. But then you're like, what am I doing to my body? Like I have IBS, which I didn't know at the time. And so right. I would eat just the worst food thinking it was a great idea. And now I'm like, I would never eat that in a million years. Same, same. I also have IBS. That was a diagnosis that came later on in life. And I've since made a few dietary changes that have, have helped it a little bit. But absolutely, it it, uh, it wasn't until being in college, being more independent on my own and realizing, hey, there are things I actually need to deal with and I need to look more carefully at. Um, so but before I talk more about that, uh, in addition to fibromyalgia, I'm, uh, so I have scoliosis. I'm also recovering from a spine and tailbone injury that happened almost exactly a year ago, last January. And that was, I injured myself while I was making drag, making digital drag art, which I'll tell the story later. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Um, let me, I'll finish the, the list of my, my. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I also have PTSD, um, depression and anxiety. And depression is also something that I've struggled with since I was around age 13, but it was something that again, went largely undiagnosed until I got to college, until I was able to seek out mental health care for myself because mental health was not talked about in my family at all, despite my parents both having their own various issues with mental illness. And that really just sent the message to me when I was a kid that we don't talk about certain things, or if you have an issue with something, you need to just deal with it yourself and just get through it. So for those reasons, it took me a while to also become comfortable identifying with the fact that I had a mental illness and really, you know, talking openly about what I struggle with. Um, 
And then I also have ADHD and uh, chronic fatigue as well, chronic fatigue syndrome, which, you know, it's kind of the same, not the same thing, but it's a big symptom of fibromyalgia and IBS. I think that's the last one. <laughs> I missed, missed that one. Um, and yeah, a lot of these diagnoses, although I'm also someone who you don't need a diagnosis to be disabled, of course, you don't need a diagnosis to be to have a mental illness um, because diagnosis diagnoses are things that are something that you can only access if you are privileged enough to have healthcare or have yeah. access to that. And you know, it wasn't until I got to college that I have I had the good. Uh, I went to UC Berkeley, so I had like UC Berkeley's nice healthcare. Oh, nice! You had and you had all their. You had also like their disability community there, the UC Berkeley community from what I've heard and what I've seen is like really strong or, or at least was in all the docs that I've watched about it so like yeah that's that's awesome yeah um I'd love to share a little bit more about that because I do credit UC Berkeley with also being the first place where I got involved in disability activism work and just being more empowered to finally claim that I was disabled right um, as a lot of us don't feel comfortable claiming that until something happens, I guess. But yeah, so for those who don't know, UC Berkeley is considered one of the quote-unquote birthplaces of the contemporary disability rights movement. Um, and Ed Roberts was uh, the first disabled wheelchair user to go to the school. And he's also credited with getting curb cuts which are the little ramps for curbs that for people who don't know what they are that everyone uses nowadays, right? Skateboarders, bicyclers, everyone uses those. But of course, as we know, once we, when people care about accessibility, it benefits everyone, not just disabled people. So there's actually a campus on, Ed, on UC Berkeley's campus named after Ed Roberts, like a, a section of the campus. And I didn't actually know who he was until I started going to UC Berkeley. And I got involved with the Disabled Students Program, which is the program that supports disabled students with accommodations, with anything that you really need. And unfortunately, it was a, not a nice situation that they were cutting part of that program. They were cutting, oh, no. of, course, of course, because when budget cuts are there, it's always disabled students or art stuff. It's both of those that are the first to experience the cut. So they were cutting part of the program that specifically helped disabled people with job placements and, and getting support for um, job interviews, cover letters. And it was just like, wow, this is literally what college is supposed to do, right? A lot of people go to college with the intention of, I want to go to college to either get skills, to get some sort of job, or I want to learn more and expand my knowledge so, such that I can, you know, figure out what my career should be so that really upset me and, and was like wow how can you claim that you are a program that serves disabled students when career placement and, and job support is something that a large majority of this community needs and we uh me and some of the friends that i met there and we had we started this whole little coalition we started a petition about not wanting that program to be cut there were several different hearings, not, not hearings, but like community meetings that the director was like trying to hold with the community being like, we want to hear your thoughts. And we were just like, okay, our thoughts are don't cut this program. <laughs> and like, that was just what yeah. we were saying. 
And unfortunately, it still did end up getting cut. Um, but they tried to like, they were claiming that they were going to make something to replace it. But then they also got a new director. And it was just, you know, you know how things on college campuses can be just so. Um, oh, yeah. The ableism, the, the ableism in higher ed is <laughs> just rampant and something we're not discussing enough. And it's a shame that because I've also heard of programs I can't remember in which state or what university, but I remember reading a few years ago that there was a school in some state in America that was doing attendant care for their disabled students and they cut the whole program. One day they just stopped everything and it was just completely stopped and the students were told to leave the university where they were living and where they were what? receiving care and to, they couldn't, unless they could find their own care, they had to leave. That's and so fucked. You know, I, I went to a school in Canada, Carlton U, that provided that kind of care for all of us. And that's the only way that I could actually go to university mm-hmm. on my own and be independent and make all the mistakes that I did from 19 to like 28. <laughs> I lived there and it was home. And so to have to hear that other schools around the world, around the world and the North America are cutting programs like that for young disabled people to try to just have a university experience and to know that it's not there is really shameful. It's really, really shameful. Agreed. Absolutely. I I agree. And yeah, so that incident was really what got me more involved with disability activism. And I actually still wasn't, I mean, I, I, yeah, I wasn't like openly identifying as disabled at that point still, because I still had a lot of internalized ableism. I still was very much like, oh, like my disabilities aren't that bad. And you know, all of that internal stuff that goes on. Um, But I obviously had a lot of friends who were disabled and friends who were impacted by that specific cut as well. And uh, it just really got me just learning more about history and, and activism and wanting to try and make more changes on the campus. And, um, Then shortly after I graduated in 2018 is when I started exploring drag. And drag was something that I had always really loved and admired. And when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends who were queer and we would watch a certain reality TV show that I will not name because it is- I'll name it, RuPaul's Drag Race. Grace, yeah. I so I have very mixed feelings about it, and I won't get. This isn't a Lotus Boy rants about RuPaul's Drag Race show, so I won't get too much. I mean, it could be one. I mean, we could. It could totally be one because I I think I have the same feelings you do. Okay. I was gonna I was gonna bring it up anyway. Oh Um, my gosh! Yes. I was gonna ask you anyway about you know popular popular culture depictions of drag and disability, and obviously you know we know that Evie Oddly. Mm-hmm. came out a couple years ago with with um eds right that's yes. right yeah yep. yeah and actually there is one queen who's on the season now her name is willow pill and i she hasn't publicly said what her diagnoses are but in an interview she said she has a lot of disorders um specifically like blood disorders that she has to take like 15 to 20 pills a day and that's part of what her name came from the word pill it's like uh she takes a lot of pills um yeah so and she's actually in the same drag family i think as evie oddly so 
that's cool, right? Um, okay, yeah. I mean, that is cool. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think the show overall in terms of disability representation, I don't watch it a lot because of my distaste for some of that stuff. Um, yeah. And also I find it on a completely different tangent. I find it troubling that queer men will consume that show like like they love it and it's great and it's amazing but if a femme person came up to them in a bar and said I think you're hot let's go fuck or let's go date or let's whatever the the super mask for mask dude bro who watches drag race wouldn't even bad night them and wouldn't even notice they existed so I have a lot of issues with how the fandom of that show is just really problematic in a lot of ways. I mean, I get that maybe this, this episode did turn into a, a RuPaul's. Hey, I'm here episode. For it. <laughs> Like, I just think that it is real problematic that we can consume drag as a popular culture thing. But if any of those queens came in, came out up to anyone watching the show in a bar out of their makeup as humans and said, I think you're hot. I want to, let's go fuck around. Mm-hmm. None of them would say yes. Absolutely. And, that, and like, that's what, that's my hugest issue with that show is that you can, you can root for these Queens as Queens, but if they come in out of their makeup and, and we're super femme presenting, which I think is amazing. And we all should, Whatever you want to do is fine. But if you said, I want to fuck you, they wouldn't. Thank you for saying that, Andrew. I completely agree that I've noticed in particular, and I can talk a little bit about too my experience as a drag king in the Bay Area even, which Bay Area is known, especially San Francisco is known for having a lot of amazing drag. Yeah. but yeah, there's a lot of femme phobia within the queer and trans community, even the drag community, and a lot of misogyny. And I agree that a lot of the times people love the show. They love what drag artists do, right? They love the culture that drag artists create for yeah. not only the queer community, but the rest of the world, right? Even even straight, like straight women love drag, right? Cis straight yeah love drag they love going to gay bars they love taking up space there um and you love watching the show you love the reality tv but when it comes down to actually caring and supporting about these people as real people oh then it's like oh i don't know about that and it's fucked up i i agree and my feelings about rupaul's drag race in general is i'm grateful for you know, what it has done for drag art. I, most people won't disagree that RuPaul was the one to put it, put drag art on the like international map. Like, you know, now there's Stage, yeah. race. Now there's uh, UK drag race. There's all these Spain, different- Australia. Yeah, right. now, yeah, literally like so many countries are now getting drag races, which is so cool, right? Cause there's drag artists in every, every place of the world, I'm sure. But with that and with RuPaul's becoming like a millionaire, billionaire, I don't even know. I don't know if he's a billionaire, probably not a billionaire, but uh, I I just have noticed and and seen how much the show has become really 
capitalist and really yeah. about the money and the fame and just the demands that the show asks. Like people, some, I've had people tell me, you know, of course, meaning well and, and being very complimentary or trying to being like, oh my gosh, like you should go on Drag Race. You should apply for Drag Race. And I'm like, I will never apply for that show. Yeah, never. I Even if I was accepted, I couldn't even do it because the there's all these really intense rules that you have to do. Um, you, you barely get paid to be on the show. You're like only allowed one suitcase of belongings and you're not allowed to have your phone when you're on the show. Like there's all these really wild controlling rules. Ableist uh, ideas. Yeah, exactly. Ableist like rules. One suitcase. I just, I just did a, I did a work trip last week. One suitcase. I took two giant suitcases full of disability stuff, two bags, two, like my mom had stuff for me because she went as my caregiver. Like I couldn't even imagine only going with one suitcase and no phone. My phone is my lifeline to the world if I need help. Like, what do I, like, no. Another thing too is, I don't know the exact time period. I'm pretty sure it's like a year, but it's like up to a year after the show, you can't, you have to, you can't tour or you can't, um perform in certain places you have to be approved uh where you get to perform i I don't know there's all these really uh like i said wild and and controlling rules because of how much money drag queens make and how much they make for rupaul and the show so i think that overall like i said i'm grateful like I, I don't think I would be the artist I am today or be able to get so many gigs or get certain opportunities if drag was not so so much in the mainstream culture right now, um, which is largely in part due to RuPaul and of course um, black trans women, black trans, black drag queens, black femmes, who is where kind of modern day drag and ballroom culture came from. So of course I owe everything to those folks. And what, as we've talked about, the show can be very toxic as well. Like I'm not a reality TV show person. I, me neither, uh, me neither. and it's really saddening to me because the, the culture quote unquote, it's just so catty and mean. And, and I know it's part of the culture to read each other, right? To be insulting each other playfully to, uh, or maybe not playfully, right? To be straight up mean to each other because it's like, yeah. It's a competition, right? We're here to win. We're not here to make friends. And I'm just, I'm not that type of person. <laughs> I, I'm someone who I want to know people. I want, I, I love seeing other drag artists. I will always compliment other people whose art moves me or impresses me or inspires me. And I just think that the overall energy of that show isn't the type of energy that I want to put out in the world. And I have noticed personally that it, it it impacts how people perceive drag, right? Because yeah. they think that everyone is like a like a diva, quote unquote. Um, and, and it also the biggest thing too is that hello, RuPaul's Drag Race has not ever had a drag king on the show, right? And there have been other drag shows. Uh, Andrew, have you ever watched Dragula, or have you heard of Dragula? I've heard of it. I've never watched it though. I've heard of it though. I've ever okay. Um, So I recommend it if you're into alternative, creepy, horror drag. Um, I am. I am. Awesome. I'm into into horror stuff. Drag is harder because I would need my staff to dress me. It would take, it was a whole, 
a whole other conversation, but I like horror and I would totally watch Dregs. So, so I would totally watch that. Okay, I recommend it. Yeah, it's the Boule brothers and they're like a drag duo. Um, they're not yeah. brothers, but uh, they host it. It's called Dragula. And I personally, I haven't watched all of the episodes and that's only because I personally have triggers around blood and gore sometimes um, due to trauma I've had. And a lot of times people use like knives and just like really intense, like really cool and realistic uh, artistic depictions that I admire. But for me personally, I can't always be present with that. Um, although I wish I yeah. could. But it is a lot, it, you know, it's still a reality TV show. There's still a lot of like made up drama for the purposes of the theatricality. But overall, yeah. it has more diverse people and more, more diverse. One, they have, they've had a king on the show, uh, Landon Sider. He was the first ever drag king to win a major, a major drag competition. Um, That's cool. Yeah, they've had non-binary uh, artists on the show, trans artists. And I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race also has had trans artists too, but in the past, he was not as welcoming towards trans women and trans femmes and non-binary artists. So um, yeah, that, that's my other issue with RuPaul's Drag Race is that uh, it's really first and foremost, a space for drag queens and most often cis, cis gay men who are drag queens, you know? Um, cis gay white men yes exactly cis gay white men and I just think that there's a lot to be done in terms of diversity Um, yeah what I would love to see on that show or Dragula or Andrew's crippled drag race I don't know Um, (laughs) I would love to see a power wheelchair using queen on that show Mm -hmm. because we how and I've, I've made tweets about this in the past and I've talked about how cool would it be to see drag queens or kings or whatever, however you want to be referred to, um, how, how, drag prince, I don't know. How, um, so yeah, how, how cool would it be to see if, you know, to see a power wheelchair user show what accessibility for drag for them would look like, show what show their attending care workers, getting them dressed, show all the stuff. Cause I did drag like 20 years ago for my, for my college. Oh my God, you did. And I remember. Andrew, I have to see the pictures of the videos. If there are any. If I can find, I will, I will go to the bowels of my Facebook and I'll picture it. I'll find the wow. picture. Cause it's somewhere in there from okay. years ago, but I remember doing it and having to get my staff to dress me up and to dress me um, in, I went to like the mall and I bought a bra and I bought what I thought was like really sexy at the time. Um, And I got dressed, but I remember also having to have the conversation with my caregivers about, they're like, why do you want to dress in girls clothes? What's, what's this about? And I kept being like, I kept being like, it's a drag show. I'm supposed to like, I got to do it this way. And it was a really interesting conversation because they did it for me, but there was a whole air of like, why would you do this? So I think putting that on camera and talking to people about how it is to dress, what accessibility you need to do drag as a disabled person um, and showing the whole range of drag queens and kings and princes and princesses um, and, and all that stuff in terms of disability and only featuring disabled queens 
and kings and like that would just be I think so powerful yeah uh, I love that idea and all right so we have the award show we have we have the gimpies yeah we have the we're we're set (laughs) um Andrew's crippled dragons I would watch that. that. I would break my no reality drag show competition show um, fast and I would watch that. I mean, movie. obviously, obviously you'd be my co-host. Oh, I can't, God, obviously. Because I couldn't do it by myself. So obviously you'd be my co-host. Thank um, you. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's actually an idea I've wanted to do for a while. And maybe I will someday, um, but create just like a disabled artist only um, online show because Digital drag is something that has exploded since the pandemic began, which I'm so immensely grateful for as both providing just opportunities for disabled drag artists and artists in general to have their work seen by such a wider audience and and by people who, you know, you maybe never would have had your work reach before since most drag prior to the pandemic was like a live experience, right? You would go to a bar, go to a club, a venue to see yeah. the show um, or a, a campus. Um, but when the pandemic began, of course, a lot of venues were shut down and the queer and trans community is some of the most resilient and especially the queer and trans disabled community. And folks were like, why don't we have a drag show online? Why don't we stream it on Twitch? Why don't we have it on Zoom? So. I quickly had to learn how to video edit and how to try and um, I'm still not good at Twitch streaming. I know how to do Zoom because I've I've done it. I'm not good at this. Like, don't worry. I'm not good at this. I don't edit the show at all. I put the beginning yeah. in. I, I put the end in and there's the show. Like, there's no editing. The curse yeah, so don't okay. worry about that too much. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, being me, sometimes being super, uh, very self-critical and um recovering perfectionist, I like to say, because perfectionism is an illusion. Perfection doesn't exist and is often rooted in ableist standards of like having things be a certain way and you can't deviate from those standards. But um, I really wanted to like, no, I want to take time to to learn this. I want to take time to elevate my art in this way. And I learned how to caption videos too, because um, you know that was one of the most important things for me is when I first started watching digital drag, no one had captions on their stuff. And I'm someone who does need captions uh, in order to fully process and be present with a lot of things. I I have subtitles on all the time. Um, Me too. Are they great? I love them so much. Me too. I love them so much because I'm like, oh, if I can't, if I can't hear it or if I can't, even if I can't process, I can read what's going on Mm -hmm. and then I know what's happening. I I put them on for everything. And I have friends who are like, oh, can you turn the subtitles off? And I'm like, no, I don't want it. I, I like them. <laughs> no. Like, no, no, I need them, please. Exactly. Yeah. People are like, oh, subtitles are distracting. And it's like, okay, well, just don't look there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just look above there. It's fine. <laughs> um, so absolutely. And that was something that I was like, well, I'm going to caption my shit because it's something that I personally need and I want. And um, I started to see more and more. Of course, I wasn't. I'm not gonna claim I was the first person to ever do that. Absolutely not. But um, I started seeing more and more people eventually captioning their work. And um, I, there were a few digital drag shows that I ended up hosting um, uh, yeah, at their various points last year and in 2020. And I made it a point to be like, it's a requirement that you have your videos captioned. And if you need assistance with that captioning, uh, you can let me know ahead of time. Like, 
please don't ask me the day before the show because it doesn't, you know, now I can caption pretty like at a decent rate, but it still takes time, right? It's not like something of course. you do in a minute and you're done. And please tell me you charge for that. Please tell me you were like, and my fee for that is this. Oh, I mean, I didn't at first because I'm someone who I'm like, uh, I, and that's something I'm trying to get better at is valuing my time and charging for my labor. But I, I think at that point I was more like, a lot of people don't know how to or don't care enough to learn how to like the people who are you know able-bodied or people who maybe have extra time to 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 be doing that weren't doing it so either I would say like I can help you but if you tell me like a week in advance or I just directed them to one of the captioning websites there's like rev.com there's um what's the other one uh oh one of my friends there's Otter AI does it. Yeah, or even Fiverr. Actually, that was, I think, the very first video I made um, before I learned how to caption, but I learned right after that. I went on Fiverr.com and I was like, I need someone to caption my video. And they did it for $5 and it was great. Um, and then I was just like, well, wait, if I know how to edit videos and move clips around, I can drag <laughs> captions too. So, um, yeah, like that's that's how I Get just it. Like it. drag captions. <laughs> Kind of. I mean, dra- you can. What? You can oh, drag. Dra- <laughs> you can drag caption. Get it? Get it? But, um, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'm. I, I'm surprised I didn't catch that earlier because I am a really corny, punny person generally. Oh yeah, me too. Um, I'm the puns are my favorite thing. I want to switch quickly because yes. we could go on. We could go on forever. I want to switch sure, sure. quickly to to. No, no, it's totally fine. But I want to learn more about King Lotus Boy, and I want to learn more about your drag persona because obviously they're not the same as as who I'm speaking to right now so I want to learn I want to learn like what does drag for you as a disabled performer mean how is your persona different and how does your drag persona King Lotus Boy uh infuse disability there sure thanks for thanks for the redirection Andrew because I I could also talk all day about what we were oh we're gonna oh don't worry we're gonna be like best friends off the air don't worry it's fine (laughs) oh my gosh excited so my name King Lotus Boy comes from a reclamation and reconnection to my Chinese heritage so my middle name my Chinese name is Lai Lin which in Chinese means beautiful lotus and my older sister, who is one of my best friends in the world, their middle name is Lailan, which means beautiful orchid. And when I was a kid, I had a lot of internalized racism, unfortunately, as a lot of us do growing up in America. And yep. I uh, was not, I didn't like my middle name because the only reason why I didn't like it was because it was different than everyone else. And my first name out of drag is Kiana which is not a super uncommon name, but when I was growing up, I was the only one I knew who had that name. And then Lai Lin too. I was like, I know no one with this name. This is like a weird name. No one knows how to pronounce it. You know, all these like really inconsequential things. So for the longest time, I was like, I don't like my middle name. I didn't tell people it. I wanted to change it um, because I just really didn't like it. I like didn't like that it made me different. I didn't really... Uh, like that it was a connection to my Chinese culture, um, which is really sad now when I look back at it. I'm, I, it, I mostly just am sad that I spent so many years 
you know, feeling that way about myself and about this beautiful name that my mom gave me um, and my sister that, you know, is such an important part of who I am today. Um, yeah. So when I was creating my drag persona name, um, I really thought about it. And I, after college too, is when I was able to connect with more uh, specifically queer and trans Asian Pacific Islander people and just like get really involved with meeting more people that were queer and Asian and, and people that I didn't really have growing up as well. Um, and then just really working on my internalized racism and, and becoming more proud of my heritage and realizing how much it has made who I am today. And as my middle name, meaning beautiful Lotus and also the Lotus in Chinese culture and in a lot of East Asian um, cultures and Asian cultures in general, the Lotus symbolizes like beauty and purity and rebirth. And although I have always been a quote unquote tomboy when I grew up. So I, I had this long period of time where since I was maybe from age like five to, to 12, I was like, hated the color pink hated brushing my hair, refused to wear dresses, would like throw a fit whenever my mom asked me to wear a dress to church. I wore the same khaki shorts every single day. I, I played in the dirt. I had friends that were little boys and just like, I had this really like misogynistic view of, of femininity. And now looking back, I'm, I'm 26 now. So now of course, having the privilege of having gone to therapy and, and really done a lot of deep reflection on myself and coming into- yeah as a trans person and a non-binary trans person, I realized that I was trans as a kid, but I just didn't have the language for it, right? All I knew was that I didn't wanna be a girl. And I remember me and one of my childhood best friends, uh, Megan, we like, I remember we once had this like conversation where we're like, yeah, we're, we're boys, right? Like we're, we're little boys. Like we like both were really tomboyish. And um, so that's where the boy in Lotus Boy comes from because Lotuses are a really beautiful symbol. Um, there's, they're also really associated in like uh, Buddhism and a lot of like Chinese folklore. The, the Lotus symbolizes like reincarnation and rebirth and um, just like a really beautiful flower because it also blooms from like mud and dirt. Like you can, the Lotus can grow like at the bottom of a lake and then it'll grow all the way up and it'll be like this, you know, beautiful flower. Um, yeah. So for me, it's like a, I found it to be, as I grew up, like a metaphor as well for my struggles as a person, right. Of like having to get through, uh, the dirt of, oh, sorry, the dirt, excuse me. That was my alarm. Definitely thing. made me, I definitely had a spasm. Did you see me like jump five feet in the air? I was like, what is that noise? Oh no. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. It's okay. Fuck you. Um, yeah, the lotuses are so shocking. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I found it to be kind of a metaphor for my experiences with, with trauma and getting through like the darkness of that. And also like, uh, I have this poem that I wrote about it too, where it's like the dirt of other people's expectations of who I should be, how I should show my gender, uh, what sort of gender norms I should conform to. And, and I mean, I think from listening to just that story, my first thought was, oh, there's a lot of shit in disability. There's a lot of dirt and mud and crap mm -hmm. stuff that we go yeah. through. So not that you're rising above as King Lotus Boy, but you're like, 
I'm so going to be fucking the most beautiful flower ever, despite all the shit that I'm dealing with. Here I am. So I think there is parallels to disability there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was thinking about your name as you were talking and you can do with this what you want. But I was thinking, what if you, what if you were like Crip King Lotus Boy? What if like, maybe you could throw that in there. Crip King Lotus Boy. I do know some, some drag artists who, they identify as crippled as well and and they'll or they'll say like a crypt i'm a cryptid which it means like a cryptid is like a actually a word for like a, a like a paranormal yeah. thing right. yeah, a creature. Uh, I, I love that i love that i love that too um yeah definitely i'll think about adding that to, to my name too I, I think it would be a, a good indicator of who i am um and so yeah so the i as i grew up and realized like my culture is beautiful my name is beautiful and lotuses are typically associated with femininity um, in Chinese culture and like uh, womanhood even. And I was like, well, I am trans. I am, I'm not a woman. Um, I was raised as a woman. I was socialized as one. Uh, and there are elements of you know, femininity that I value, but I'm not a woman. And I'm not a man either because men suck and men are, uh, cis men are the reason why a lot of uh, problems we have in the world, in my opinion. So I was like, okay, I'm not Lotus man because that doesn't feel right. And I thought about me as a kid and me being like, I always thought I was a little boy when I was a kid, like for a long time, I just, I didn't realize that I wasn't a boy. <laughs> like I, I was just like, oh, I, I dress this way. I have friends who are boys. I'm just one of them. And lastly, the part, the reason why that's my name is because I think in my drag persona, I have a very childlike humor and, and curiosity and playfulness. And I really see my, my drag work as partially healing uh, my inner child and healing that part of me as a kid that I didn't get to fully express because of, you know, all the other societal norms that didn't allow me to, to be able to do that. So kind of like reclaiming a boyhood, quote unquote, that I never got to fully live through. Um, and with drag, so now talking into my work as a drag artist. So um, I'm also grateful to drag and the drag community specifically in the Bay Area um, because it helped me come to my identity as a trans and non-binary person. Um, I knew that I was like having these feelings for a while, but at the time I was still very, um, I had only been like publicly out as like a quote unquote queer woman um, for a few years. And I was just like, really kind of, uh, at that time I was like, oh, I'm a lesbian and like, I'm a queer woman. And, you know, I was very into like that identity. And, uh, even when I started experimenting with using they, them pronouns, like I would notice that my like ex-girlfriend at the time and other friends would like only use my pronouns maybe sometimes or like around me, but then, uh, wouldn't fully use it all the time. And it just made me feel not fully comfortable coming out. And I'm grateful to shout out to the Rebel Kings of Oakland, which is where I started. They are one of the longest running drag king, specifically troops in the nation. And they're based in Oakland, California. And that's where I got my start. I went to a drag show of theirs. It was a fundraiser show. Um, and I was just like, wow, I wanna do this. And prior to going to their show, I actually didn't know that drag kings existed either. Um, partially because oh, of that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what we talked about earlier with RuPaul's Drag Race really being the only representation of drag that I saw. Um, I like Andrew's Cripple Drag. Can, can somebody listen? Listen. Exactly. I, know some, I know somebody out there who does this shit is listening to me. Andrew's Cripple Drag Race, please, please. Canada's Drag Race, awesome. if, you want, if you want to do like one episode of that, like you film it here in Toronto and I know because I know where it is. <laughs> like, bring me down there. I'll do it for you. Andrew's Crippled Drag Race. Andrew's Crippled International Drag Race, since at least yeah. we have different, two different countries here. But yeah. And I have connections to actually some drag folks from other countries as well because of digital drag. So trust me, I got enough, I got enough folks that we can fill up that first season. We like that. <laughs> I'm here for it. So here for it. Me too. Um, what else did I want to ask you? There was something else. Oh, yeah. Before I forget. So I use they, he pronouns because I feel like they is a really nice connection to disability. It allows me to flap my wings a little bit and be something completely different and not be forced into the masculine queer norms Mm -hmm. that a lot of able-bodied queer men emulate Mm -hmm. that I can't because of disability. So I'm wondering how your pronouns connect to your disability experience sure so i use he so i have three sets of pronouns in drag and out of drag too so he him and when i first started drag i was only going by he him because i was like you said actually i started off really trying to emulate the hyper masculinity that i saw and a lot of drag kings are like quote unquote male impersonators, which is fine. Like, I think that's really fun and cool. Um, but their goal is to specifically emulate like manhood or like kind of like cis masculinity in my opinion. Like aggro bro muscular. Yeah. Kind of, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or like the whole thing. It's kind of like the illusion of like, oh my gosh, this person, how, how realistic quote unquote, how much can this person pass as a man And that's kind of like part of the show and the illusion. Um, And then as I started exploring my drag and my gender more, I'm like, well, I'm not a man. I I don't like only being called he, him, because I feel like even though you don't have to be a man uh, to use those pronouns, I I didn't want people to like only associate masculinity with me. And I started exploring um, they pronouns as well. And at that time I was using she and they out of drag and like you, I, I love that they is really like representative to me of multitudes, right? Of like the fact that everyone has multiple versions of themselves, right? That they show in different scenarios. Like we can't be our full selves, yeah. all the, even if even with someone we're 100% comfortable with. And for me, as someone who is non-binary, trans, like very gender fluid, I was like, yeah, I think my persona has a lot of different expressions and characters I'm not only this hyper masculine person I don't want to only be this person and I want to explore that more and using they to me felt more representative of the possibility of exploring gender and eventually my abilities and disabilities right um as I became more comfortable with identifying openly as disabled um which I didn't start identifying as a disabled drag king until the beginning of the pandemic um mainly because of the ableism that I saw in the community and the ableism that a lot of show producers had or just the lack of uh, forthcoming 
action around accessibility, right? It's like, I would always yeah. be asking like, hey, is this venue wheelchair accessible? Hey, are there any stairs to get to the stage, right? It's like, I would always be having to ask all these questions ahead of time to make sure that the venue is accessible either for me or any of my friends who wanted to come. So I just didn't feel, and especially because I was just starting out in drag, you know, and, and drag can be a very like clicky, like, oh, you have to know certain people to get certain bookings. Um, I just didn't feel like, I'm like, I don't want to, you know, come in here as a newcomer, like demanding all these things, quote unquote, yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's obviously like a necessity, which is part of, part of my accessibility song too. Um, so yeah, I feel like, I really like what you said, Andrew, that they kind of represents like the disability struggle too, because well, in one way, I, I think of it as like being disabled, we are reliant on a lot of people, right? Um, and like the concept of interdependence, right? That um, disability activist Mia Mingus, someone who I really admire, um, she writes a lot about interdependence and, you know, as like kind of a, not a solution per se, but a, a an, conversation yeah. piece. Yeah, a conversation piece as a way to like, respond to ableism, right? Of like, oh, it's your fault for being disabled or like you have to do everything on your own and you're you're asking for extra privileges. And it's like, no, with interdependence, we see that helping other people helps us too, right? Um, that making things easier and, and making things more accessible for everyone is just part of what needs to happen. It's not, and it shouldn't be thought of as like something extra or, or something that that's like a chore. Um, and like, yeah, so I feel like the they encompasses like, maybe you are not just yourself, you know, maybe you're with your attendant or uh, your caretaker or someone else around. Oh, I never thought about that. I never I thought about that linkage at all. That's a great, I never, but you're yeah. right. When, I, when I'm around my attendant care worker, when I'm around even, you know, my family, my persona is not always the same. I'm, I'm you know, it's different. So I think, yeah. I mean, which is ironic because I just did, I just did something this weekend with my mom that was totally my other persona, which is really was really funny and weird. But um, I agree with you how how different things things are around pronouns. And so, yeah, maybe you are with your attendant care worker, maybe you're with your family, maybe you're with a friend that doesn't quite understand all these things. And so they allows you to be that if you need to. Yeah, like be that, and then also. Yeah, like just for me, they represents like multitudes, right? Like they more than more than one. And then also, yeah, like you said, like sometimes being with more than one person, right? So it's not just you, it's also like your your attendant or whoever is supporting you at the time. Um, so yeah, that's like the they. And then my other pronoun is Z, Z Zier, um, which is a new one for me. I actually started using that last year. And for me, I really just like that pronoun. I I liked that it it's very different than a lot of the other pronouns. And I feel like it represents one side of my drag that is very like undefinable. <laughs> like I try very hard to uh, just create looks that are slightly different every time or just, you know, try to experiment with a lot of different makeup styles, a lot of drag artists do. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of the times yeah, just like the represent the way I express my gender is different than what I commonly see. And I feel like the Z uh, for me is like a very different expression of gender that I don't always have the words for. Um, and that's okay, right? That's okay too. 
Um, so yeah, I think that overall, uh, being able to experiment with pronouns while in drag too has been a really big blessing and really helpful for my uh, formulation of my identity and, and feeling more proud and confident in both my trans non-binary identity and my disabled identity as well. How does it feel to, because I know that the disabled identity is a new thing you're kind of just coming to right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I have talked to a lot of people who are just coming into their disabled identity. How does that feel for you to bring that to the drag space? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been an effort, <laughs> as I'll say. Um, it, it took the pandemic for me to finally be like, I'm sick of just dealing with this shit. I'm sick of seeing other friends of mine, um, you know, other queer and trans people of color who are disabled, especially like black, brown and indigenous people who, you know, face the most marginalization out of our community. And just really kind of being like, this is not sustainable for us, right? It also came down to that too, of like, I love drag art. I love performing. I, I, like I said, I feel it's something that I'm, part of my gifts to this world. And I wasn't able to continuously sustainably perform at these venues, like uh, both in the frequency that that people do. So so for example, I'm not a full-time drag performer um, because my body just wouldn't allow that. Like I wouldn't be able to support yeah. myself with the, like, the amount of gigs I would have to do per month or per week even, uh, I couldn't. So I do have friends who are full-time drag performers and it's like, some of them are doing three or four shows in one week or three shows in a row. And I'm just, I could not do that. And I really found like when I first started drag, I was working this other full-time job that was just not accessible to me either and really draining. And um, I felt like I always had to put my drag art on the back burner because I was always so exhausted from work. And now I can't work full time and I don't think I'll ever will be able to do that again. Um, So coming into disability uh, and uh, a disabled identity and um, being able to be like, hey, I'm not just talking about this stuff uh, because I'm like an ally or like because I just care about the world. It's like this is something that affects me personally. And if you want me to perform on your stage, you need to care about it, too. Right. And I think like once I was able to frame it in that way of like people who, you know, wanted me to perform with them or wanted me to be on their digital show and me being like, okay, can you make sure that people caption their videos? Can you ask them to do that? Because I really need that, right? Then most people were very receptive of like, oh, sure, right? Like, absolutely. Um, And I I get it. Like, it's hard for a lot of people to take the time to spend a lot of like energy and research thinking about things that don't personally quote unquote affect them. Um, Or like if they don't have certain experiences with disability, they might just never go out of their way to think about it or if they don't know anyone, right? Like I understand Um, it's the same thing with like race or gender, right? If you're cisgender, you probably don't spend that much time thinking about trans people, um, but you should. (laughs) And um, same thing if you're white, you know, you have to do a lot of work to understand the struggles of people of color. Um, I mean, if you're white, you have to realize, and I'm a white person, so I'll say it, we we are constantly racist even when we think we're not even when we think we're not being racist oh yeah so like constantly and the same with ableism 
we're constantly ableist, myself included, Absolutely. and probably you, like probably yeah. you too. We're yeah. like both, like we've all been there. So like I think bringing those discussions to the drag space is just so important. Yeah. Um, thanks for saying that. And I agree. I mean, a- any non-Black person can be racist. I um, I think especially if you grew up in America, where I grew up, um, racism is pretty ingrained and anti-Blackness is pretty ingrained into our culture, unfortunately. So it's like you said, it's a constant thing to be working on and unlearning, um, which yep. in connection to my work, I do a lot of like education within my drag. Um, so outside of drag, I work at a high school. Um, I'm a public speaking coach. And I please tell me, please, please tell me that you've gone in drag to your students and uh, please, please tell me that's happened. Not my (laughs) students, actually, but I do. I've been lucky enough to work with the this organization called the Queens of the Castro. So the Castro is the historic queer neighborhood in SF. And they started this program last year called Drag Lab. Drag artists in the Bay Area were paired with a high school student who wanted to learn more about drag. And that was like a little mentor mentorship thing. And we did all these uh, monthly meetings on Zoom where we did like drag makeup workshops. We had guest speakers and it was a really great experience. And through them, I now have been partnered with a high school in San Francisco to go there once a month and give workshops on drag. So um, I I don't share all of my drag with my current students. And the reason is because transphobia unfortunately and uh I just in the area that I teach there are some parents who are conservative um or some parents who are uh I teach a lot of uh, Asian students and which is great because I love being able to teach you know folks that are like me um and a lot of parents just tend to be you know more traditional or or just not aware of, of trans stuff and I don't yeah. always feel safe or comfortable being fully out at work uh, in the teaching setting. So, um, one day, I mean, I stop, I have some students who follow me on Instagram who I don't teach anymore. You know, I let them like connect with me after they're not my student anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, do, do you feel safe so speaking about safety? Mm-hmm. Do you feel safe as a disabled person in the drag space? Yes and no. I think that it's becoming more of like accessibility is becoming more of a thought for a lot of people. Uh, like I said, digital drag, I think really allowed more people to think about accessibility and engage with it in ways they probably never had before with captions, with trigger warnings too. Um, that was another big thing that I really pushed a lot of people for. Um, not only because I have certain triggers around art and you know different experiences regarding trauma, but because other people do too, right? And um, even if you don't have a disability or even if you don't have PTSD, there are things that can be triggering, right? Like emotionally triggering or just like depictions of violence that maybe you you weren't expecting to see when you're watching a a drag video. So I feel that I am grateful that in my personal drag community, my drag family and the the Bay Area community, accessibility is uh, more of a priority. And um, a quick shout out to Oaklash, the Bay Area's drag festival, which I'm really grateful to be coming on as a board member um, this year. Uh, but they were really the first major drag festival and event that put accessibility on the forefront. So last year they had a whole captioning team that would volunteer wow, to make good. those videos. 
um, who didn't submit caption videos. We had ASL interpretation for uh, all the panels. And um, I don't think all of the live performances had ASL because it's very hard to, you know, there was like 50 performers. So it was very like difficult, I think, to get get everyone to know ahead of time what those performances would be like to interpret. But um, for the online content, like the, the Zoom and the Twitch panels and workshops, they were all uh, interpreted and, and captioned. So that was really awesome. Um, well, I mean, if, if Oak Lash wants to fly me down there, we could do Andrew's Crippled Drag Race there. Oh my I gosh, mean, I will I will definitely reach out to the board about that or-, or not even it. kidding. Like, I'm not kidding either. <laughs> or even like if you wanted to experiment with drag and, or if you wanted, I could help you. I could do a makeover for you or- It could be so, I would, yes, yes, I want to. Totally oh my gosh, do. okay. Like it would be so fun. Yes, I, yeah, yes, please. <laughs> okay, this year, wait, I need to double check the date. I, I believe it's in May, so- could mark off your calendar loosely um, for when the festival will be. Have you ever been to the Bay Area before? Not, no, I haven't. I was born in California. Oh, you were? I was born in, La I was born in Laguna. Okay, um, I know where that is, yeah. A, a preemie baby. And I <laughs> was in Laguna for three months and then rushed home to, to live in the cold of Toronto. Um, so no, I've never been. Wow. I didn't, I don't think I knew that. That's cool. I was also born in Southern California and was raised there and then moved to, to the Bay area for school. Um, but awesome. Okay. I'm going to, I will definitely follow up on this. We're going to make a lot of plans. We could have Andrew's, well, not your drag debut. Cause you said that you did drag for you. But it's my drag coming out of retirement. have it done yes. in so long. Like, okay. Your redrag debut. Yeah. Would need to like come up with a new name. Like I've been playing around with names for years. And one yeah, name that I'm want to share? one name, yeah, one name that I'm obsessed with is Kripney Gears. Say that again. Kripney Gears. Kripney Gears. Kripney like Britney. Oh, okay. Gears. Oh, like, oh. Britney Gears. <laughs> I love it. Kripney Gears because of like the gears on the chair and on and the chair. Turning, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, it's awesome. I love it. I love it. You already said it. Seems like. Um, so, I mean, I, I just love the art form. When I did it 20 years ago, like I've said this on the show before, but I'll say it again. When I did 20 years ago, the school, my school didn't want to let me do it because they didn't want to get a ramp up to the stage. Wow. And I had to fight with the head of the, wow. the, uh, the LGBTQ center at my school who refused mm -hmm. to get me a ramp because they claimed it was unsafe. And I said, you're going to find, you're going to make, a, you're going to get me a ramp or I will make a big stink of this. Mm -hmm. And so they did. They eventually relented and got me a ramp. And every year for four years, I did drag. Hell and yeah. I did, I went every year because I was like, you need to show that disabled people can do this too. Yes, and so I made sure to be there for the, my four years of college. I was there. Um, at least my first degree, I was there. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember thinking how hard it was to be a drag queen because I couldn't dress up like the other like the other contestants yeah. I mean I did I figured it out like I put got a bra I got a dress I got the makeup yes. but it wasn't as because of inaccessibility and ableism it wasn't as flashy as what I was seeing my other co-contestants do so I've always wanted to do something big and bright and brash and like ridiculous and just play with that 
part of myself that I never really get to because of disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mean, to have a drag king make me over would be so fun. Yay! I would, yes, please. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm excited for this. Um, okay. We'll, we'll talk about this maybe after the show. Cause I have so many. Ideas. Yeah, definitely. The one thing I wanted to say with what you just shared is one, of course, that's really fucked up and I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I'm happy that you are as strong-willed as you are to assert yourself and demand what you need and to say, no, I am going to be on this stage, whether you like it or not, you're going to get me that ramp. And I think it's really funny that they said that the ramp would be unsafe when it's like the point of the ramp is to be safe, right? What would be unsafe yeah. is you trying to get on the stage without a ramp, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what kind of mental like gymnastics people will have to do to justify why they won't give someone the bare minimum is like, yeah, ridiculous it just me. boggles my mind. And so what, you know, the, the overarching question, so, so the reason why we're doing this bonus episode and we're recording this on Saturday and this will come out on like Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so the reason why we're doing this bonus episode is because you have a show, a bunch of shows coming up. Can you <laughs> tell us more about that? Yes, thanks, Andrew. So I have my first ever solo show and it's a musical show. It's a, it's a one act. It's just like a short play. It's about 30 minutes long and it's called Disability is a Drag. Exclamation point. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> um, because it can be, and in both sense of the word, um, in the sense that maybe this is true for you. You can tell me if it's not, but with being a disabled person, you oftentimes maybe have to perform your disability in a certain way to get people to oh, yeah. listen to 100%. you, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah that's, that's what I had to learn, right? Me being someone who I do use a cane, um, not all the time, but I do use a cane often. And, you know, when I'm not using my cane, people might look at me and just not assume that I'm disabled, right? Um, or when I don't have, like, I'm not laying in bed all day, or if I'm not actively telling people, hey, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I need, people just don't assume that I am. And so for me, it's like performing your disability is sometimes what you have to do in order to get what you need. Um, and then of course, drag is a performance too. So anyways, the show, um, I was lucky enough to be accepted to this festival called the Playground San Francisco Solo Fest. So it's a uh, three weekend, it starts this weekend, and then it goes next weekend and the weekend after up until the second weekend of February. And I believe there's 10 people total, um, 10 artists who are doing solo shows. And um, I'm really excited for it because I've never had the opportunity to create something like this. And it's, um, so the premise is uh, about me. It's, so it's based off of my life, right? My experiences as a disabled, transgender, non-binary, Chinese-American drag king dealing with a lot of things we've talked about. Yeah. Ableism, uh, femphobia, um, just the fact that drag kings don't get booked as often as drag queens, partially because of what we talked about. Like drag kings just aren't seen in media and a lot of cis gay men like only want to see drag queens, right? And um, so dealing with that, dealing with ableism, internalized and external and the premise of the show is my internal monologue comes to life and I split into these two different personas <laughs> that one is kind of like the classic devil character, one's the angel character. So Lotus Root 
is the character that is angry and sarcastic and full of ancestral rage. So it represents all the times that I want to tell someone to fuck off or to be like, just, <laughs> just Google that shit. Um, and I have a song called Google is free. That's going to be in the show. Um, like all the times that I'm just so frustrated with people's bullshit and ableism and racism and all of that. And then the other half is Lotus Bloom and representing my internal compassion and all of the free emotional labor that I give people very often because as a teacher, sometimes I'm just like, it's easier if I just tell you and I'd rather you know than not. And yes, I should be paid for it. But, you know, it's like that whole thing of like, should I, should I, actually oh, yeah, what I'm worth. Um, so, yeah, I have these conversations in my head a lot. Right. Being someone who. Uh, even though I am disabled and, and have all these things, I, I do have a lot of privileges too, right? Um, so me feeling like, and even the fact that I went to UC Berkeley, right? The fact that I know how to communicate and, and speak a certain way is a huge privilege. So I feel like that's part of my duty in a way is to use my, my skills and my platform to help share light on, on disability and, and other struggles. Um, so the premise is I have these two characters they come to life and I'm just like talking with them and, and battling with them about how I should respond to certain instances of ableism or racism. And the way I'm doing it is there's going to be a video projection behind me and I have right. a screen. So I created these two characters that I filmed in drag on different days. And then I'm, hi Basil, my dog wanted to say hi. <laughs> and I so talk. So cute. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, then I talk to the, the characters as they're behind me. Um, and then in the show, I also am premiering two new original songs. One of them is called The Disability Song. The other one is called Accessibility. And then the last you'll hear one, them both. You'll hear them both today. And okay. you listen to this, they'll be at the end. So get yeah. ready. And then the last song that you'll have to come to the show to see is called Google is Free. <laughs> and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's me reminding people that sometimes disabled people don't owe you an explanation, right? Sometimes queer and trans people don't owe you an explanation. Um, and then we don't always wanna be educators, right? Like we don't wanna give someone a disability 101 lesson every single time we have to ask for something. Um, so it's just reminding people like, hey, there are resources that you can also learn yourself and you don't have to come to someone and expect them to tell you. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I would say, you know, for me in that vein, I, I think, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think that it's never an obligation for me, though, as, an, as somebody who's made themselves an educator, mm -hmm. I think that it is an opportunity. No, yeah. Som sometimes the, the opportunity for education, I don't want to give it to you as an opportunity. So I fully agree that Google is free. I also feel like, though, for me, sometimes Google is wrong. That's true. Absolutely. Sometimes Google is just not correct. So I, 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 for me as an educator, and I can only speak for me, but I, lo I love to, to, even when I'm fucking tired and I fucking don't want to tell you and fuck off. No, no. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, okay. Let me just swallow that down for a minute and try to just take a breath and then tell you, okay, here's what it is. Here's what the reality is. So like, yeah. I love that you have the song in there because maybe as you do the show again, you can talk about, we can Google it, but also the like the power in being an educator mm -hmm. and the power in 
even when you're fucking tired and exhausted, the power in changing someone's mind, worldview. Absolutely. I had somebody yesterday, last night, mm-hmm. when I went to bed, they, they messaged me on Instagram and they said, your posts have made me able to be a stronger advocate for my disabled kid. And I just was like, what the, wow. Like, couldn't even believe that that was a thing that I did. So to know that like, to know that like, even when I'm fucking don't want to do it, someone is like, I took something from this. So I don't know where I was going with that, but I was think I think I was saying like, like, you know, education, we are not, we are not forced to be your educator, mm-hmm. but I think if we reframe it as an opportunity rather than an obligation, things, our stress levels will change around mm-hmm. it and people will learn more because we won't be kind of stuck in that residual disability anger loop that we often get trapped in. So I I reframed it for myself only because I was getting stuck in that anger loop being like, I fucking hate this. Don't want to do it. And I had to change. So maybe there's a song in there eventually. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, eventually. I mean, thank you for sharing that, Andrew. And of course you are that person to parents of disabled children. I'm not surprised. And I agree. There is such, such power in realizing like, yes, it's exhausting sometimes. Yes, we don't always want to have to do it or we don't have to. And yes, and (laughs) there is this freedom that comes with advocating for yourself on your own terms, right? And not, not always expecting someone else to do it because most, most of the time we are our best advocates all the time. We are our best advocates actually, unless it's like, you know, someone who works at a multi-million dollar corporation and you need them to get you money. I don't know. Right. Most of the time we, we know ourselves best and uh, we should be listening to actual disabled people to talk about disability as well. Um, So I forgot to mention when the show is, so I'm going to say that <laughs> Do it. it is, so it's premiering. It's only two weekends and luckily there's going to be a live stream. So you can watch it from anywhere you are in the world. Uh, I'm not sure yet if there will be a recording available afterwards. I'm going to try to make sure that there is because I want the show to be as accessible as possible. Um, but it's premiering next Saturday, February 5th at 7 PM PST Pacific standard time. So Wherever you are 10 in the PM world. ESC, yeah, wherever you're in the world. Convert that. Whatever time that is. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I'm really bad with time zones. I always have to Google that. So wherever you are. And then the next date is Sunday, February 13th, also at 7 p.m. PST. And there will be ASL interpretation provided. Um, one of my friends, Dev, so graciously volunteered to offer to interpret. And they're also a disabled queer and trans person of color. So I'm so excited that. I have another disabled QT POC person um, who is helping me at the show. And um, I think that's just such a beautiful example of the resilience of our community and, and how much we, we know that interdependence is a thing because I had posted it on my social media that, hey, I have my show coming up. And when I was posting all the accessibility information, I said, ASL interpretation still pending. I, Cause I asked the organizers about it and they're like, we don't plan to have that, but let us know if you need it. And I was like, I need it. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, we'll get back to you. And, you know, they didn't really get back to me and someone, and then one of my friends reached out and was like, Hey, I'd love to interpret for you. 
And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Um, so it will be ASL interpreted. Um, there should be live captioning available on the live stream as well. And then if you are local to the Bay Area, California, it, there are also in-person tickets at the Potrero stage in San Francisco. And um, I'll all say of this will be in the, all of that'll be in the show notes. So don't worry. Yeah, Everybody all, of like, it, all of it. All of it will be in the show notes. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, well, should I say the COVID accessibility stuff or do you want to just put it in the show notes? I'll put all that in the show notes. Don't worry. It'll, it'll all be there for people to get later. Um, so last thing though, is that, yeah, so you can buy a ticket to the live stream or the in-person. There's two different links that Andrew will post and the tickets are free, um, completely free. There's, but if you have money, so if you're non-disabled and you want to give me some money, I would not say no. And there's a sliding scale donation option from five to 30. They actually don't let you donate more than 30. Um, and then if you use my special code, which Andrew will also post, but it's SPF five LB at checkout, then 50% of your donation will go directly to me. Um, so not a, it's not what a about, oh. What about all the donations going to you? How, how, oh, if you want, I mean, if you want it all to go to me, then you can just Venmo me or tip me via PayPal or something, which I can also give you that information. Yeah, um, I'll put it down there too. Thank you. But, you know, you can also uh, support the show because, you know, it's the other half goes to the theater and the production company that put on this festival and, you know, gave me the opportunity yeah. in the first place. So definitely want to support them as well. Um, but yeah, but also if you don't have money, it's okay, especially if you're disabled. It's really hard for disabled people to make money and to have extra money to be spending on stuff like art and, and entertainment. So um, please do not feel like, oh my God, I have to donate something. Uh, if it's free if you need it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I am so excited for this to happen. I'm so excited you came on today. I'm so excited. We've been somehow talking for almost two hours. Oh now. my gosh. I, I, um, I have not even looked at the time. Like it was, it was such a fun chat. There's so much more I could sit and talk with you about that isn't like podcastable, but it was so <laughs> fun to sit with you and chat drag and chat accessibility and chat all the other intersections we went over today. Um, so it was so much richer than I thought it was going to be. Like we went to so many different places. It was great. It was fantastic. Um, so I had such amazing time. This, I agree. I, I, there's so many things I'm going to follow up with you. We'll, we'll talk on it in different times. Oh yeah, no, we we're definitely going to have, we have a we lot should of, have a, we should have a zoom that isn't recorded that we just chat. We will. I'll make it happen. I'm so excited. Thank you again, Andrew, I'm, for having me. Um, uh, thank you. So you've, you mentioned your social media a lot today and just so people can get a hold of you and they want to follow your drag kind of journey and your disability journey and your social media life. How do they, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks for asking. My Instagram and my TikTok, which is TikTok is something I got into the past two years. It's it's kind of overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of young people on it, but um, I think it's fun to experiment with videos. Uh, so both Instagram and TikTok, it's just at King Lotus Boy, all one word. And on Facebook, you can also follow my Facebook fan page where I also update uh, stuff about my shows. Um, uh, it's just Lotus Boy um, in all caps on Facebook. And I also have a website that I'm still in the process of building, but it's also just going to be kinglotusboy.com. Uh, Amazing. Want to with me. 
yeah, I'll make sure that all of those things yes, it's gonna please. be a lot, it's gonna be a long show notes, listeners. <laughs> a long show notes for this one. But this is a bonus episode we put together because I wanted to make sure that people heard about the show, had had time to get to the show. I think it's just so important. So please, if you're listening right now, this is coming out on February 1st or 2nd. Um, please go grab a ticket. I'm going to go grab one and I'm going to put some money down because I really value this. So if, if you're out there doing, if you're out there and you want some cool, different, inclusive, accessible entertainment around disability, like fucking, what else are you, like, what, we're still in a panini. What else are you doing? <laughs> exactly, so go, right? so go, go get a ticket if you can. Um, and if you are unable to pay, the tickets are free, which is great. Um, if you want to support King Lotus Boy, just do all the things, go to all the places and it'll be great. Um, but it was so fun to chat with you today. Um, and you Thank and I will talk so soon. We shall. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Disability. It's not something you can always see. Disability. We're the largest group of minorities. Disability makes it harder and harder daily. Disability, I won't assume about you, so don't assume about me. Please don't make assumptions about me. I struggle with motivation. Sometimes confidence You can thank my Depression for me I use a cane to get around And cushions to sit You can thank my spine and tailbone Injuries I got daily chronic pain From fibromyalgia And what? You think I was going to forget about my Chronic fatigue Please don't tell me I'm too young Don't know what it's like to be me No one can escape old age You'll eventually see You're all just an accident away From becoming just like me You're all just years away from Losing your able body You're all just years away from Losing your able body Accessibility, accessibility, it's a big necessity for me. Accessibility, accessibility.
what's so hard about asking if anyone has accessibility needs. The default shouldn't be to assume that people are able-bodied until proven otherwise. I think a lot of people take their abilities for granted and don't spend enough time learning about things that don't affect them personally, or so they think. The reality is, accessibility benefits everyone, not just disabled people. The sooner you realize that, the closer we get to liberation. I'm gonna teach you a few more things, but I'm not gonna be nice about it anymore. If you care about wheelchair users and the mobility impaired, please stop hosting events in venues with all these motherfucking stairs. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark from me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza underscore, or you can follow my website, www.andrewgerza.com, to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, Please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.